What you are about to hear is the kind of program ideally suited for radio. This is Take One with Bill Cameron. Cameron asks the questions, gets out of the way, doesn't interrupt, and lets interesting people tell their interesting stories. No sound bites, no spin, no shouting. Unedited interviews with Chicago newsmakers and compelling discussions about local breaking news. This is Take One with Bill Cameron on WLSAM 890. Bill Cameron back with you, and it's good to be back. During my eight months in retirement, I haven't missed the daily deadlines on the beat, but I have missed my weekly chats with leading newsmakers and political reporters. So today we launch Take One. Dick Durbin joins me from Washington. He's our senior senator from Illinois and the number two Democrat in the Senate. Dick, welcome back. It's good to hear your voice, Bill. Good to be on your program again. Thanks. Uh, As we are chatting here on Thursday morning, uh, President Biden is asking you guys in Congress for another $33 billion for Ukraine and some sort of permission to use some of the seized Russian oligarchs' money for Ukraine. What do you think of this? I'm totally in support of it, and I hope this is the end of the request, but if it is not enough, I want to continue to provide uh, the resources for the Ukrainian people to fight this invasion. Uh, Vladimir Putin is barbaric. He is engaged in a genocide. If we don't stop him now, God knows where he'll go next. Now, you have experience voting for and against wars. You voted famously against the Iraq War, but for the uh, war in Afghanistan. So I want to take your temperature on what you think is coming. Uh, We kind of are in an indirect war now, helping out Ukraine, but... Is your sense that the day is coming when we're actually going to be in a hot official war with Russia? I hope not. Uh, President Biden has said we're supporting the Ukrainian people uh, in repelling this invasion by Vladimir Putin. But he said, and I think uh, quoted many times, he does not want to see World War III or anything worse. I feel the same way. But I also feel if we don't stop Putin, this isn't the end of his quest. He has some sort of demented vision of Mother Russia restored or a Russian empire, and he is the czar. And if we don't stop it, God knows where he'll go next. Well, what would it take for further escalation short of him, you know, stepping into an invasion of a NATO country? You know, I ended up asking that same question uh, to Anthony Blinken, the Secretary of State, in a hearing yesterday. I said, the president made it clear that if uh, Vladimir Putin is so foolish as to uh, strike a patch of ground in a NATO country, he's going to face the NATO alliance on a military basis. Uh, You know, a patch of Poland could end up precipitating a military response by NATO. But the question I asked Blinken was, is there any other tripwire that we should uh, count on? Uh, Would genocide uh, in the Ukrainian people uh, be grounds with the use of chemical weapons, strategic nuclear weapons, or even worse, that could endanger surrounding countries be something that we respond to? It's almost unthinkable, Bill. I I don't want to imagine where it would lead. But it's also unthinkable what he is doing to Ukraine and what he's likely to do in the future. By the way, what is our vital interest in protecting Ukraine? If you look at Europe after World War II and think of all the Americans who gave their lives uh, in battle there, it was basically to protect the right of people to make a determination about their own future, uh, to protect what we view as basic American values when it comes to democracy. And what Putin is doing is challenging the results of World War II. 
He's assuming the same position Hitler did back in the 1930s, deciding when and where the Germans will conquer the next country. Uh, we stopped him at great cost. Our fathers and grandfathers and others before them uh, were valiant in, in sacrificing many times their time and their lives uh, to win that battle. Putin wants to erase that. He wants to be able to seize any territory he wishes. So it isn't just a matter of, well, if we lose Ukraine, we can get by. What will be the next uh, conquest and at what cost? Senators Cruz and Hawley were giving you a real workout the other day as you were chairing the uh, confirmation hearings for Justice Jackson. Uh, What do you think their motive is? And do you think that crowd is going to retake control of the Senate after the midterms? Well, good good questions, and I will tell you, chairing the uh, hearing on Katanya Brown-Jackson to the Supreme Court uh, was one of the most interesting, challenging, exciting times I've spent on Capitol Hill, and I couldn't get over, Bill, when I got back home to Illinois and spent the week after Easter going up and down the state, the number of people who followed that hearing very closely and, and commented on it. Uh, and I said to them, as I said in, in the hearing room, when it was all said and done, the majority of Republican members, senators who are on that committee, handled themselves well and treated the, uh, the uh, nominee fairly. They asked tough questions, but they were supposed to. Now, there were a handful of Republicans, and I won't name names, who I think crossed the line, and they were abusive and personal, uh, and I don't think that was necessary, and I hope we don't do it again. But the majority of Republicans, I thought, did it the right way and did it professionally, uh, and that's the way I'd like to see it in the future. In terms of what's going to happen in the election in November, I don't know. It's hard to say. It's a, an interesting electorate that is uh, kind of torn. They, they say they like Democrats in control, but they also are not wildly enthusiastic about President Biden. I am. I support him, and I like what he's doing. Uh, but the, when you ask the American public, uh, they have divided uh, opinion. But only a few of those Republicans voted for Justice Jackson, and uh, most seem to be afraid to uh, cross Trump. So, you know, there are a few that you would regard to be responsible, normal, traditional Republicans. But it seems like, you know, with more than 70 million voting to reelect Trump in the last presidential election, that there really is a big force of uh, very conservative Republicans out there who not only might, you know, give back majorities both in the House and the Senate in the midterms, but might reelect a guy like Trump. Or am I overstating it? No, I don't think you're overstating it at all. And I I will tell you, I know many Illinois Republicans, and uh, I I, I respect them. I've worked with them. Jim Durkin is a good example. Jim ran Mm -hmm. against me for the Senate. We became friends afterwards. I mean, real friends. Uh, and I respect him as a Republican leader. We'll disagree on many things, but uh, that doesn't mean we can't get along personally. Uh, I don't view him or many of the Republicans that I count as close friends as Trump Republicans. I think they're uh, solid Republicans uh, that predate even Trump's arrival. But you were correct. In our state and across the nation, uh, the Republican Party, by and large, is becoming the Trump Party. I don't think that's healthy for them. Uh, you might say, what are you doing as a Democrat, giving a recipe for Republican revival? I'm not. But I will tell you, having two mainstream parties is important for the future of this country. Uh, and I work with a lot of Republicans in the Senate. I wish I worked ahead, could work with more who really believe in that tradition of the Republican Party before Trump. And we have to acknowledge that the state's richest Republican, uh, Ken Durkin, is putting big dollars behind a particular candidate for governor 
any fear that Pritzker is vulnerable? Well, Ken Griffin, I think you're referring to, uh, and he does have more money than most, and I'm sure he is going to pour it into the race. But another millionaire Republican by the name of Uline, I think it's Richard Uline, who spent a million dollars in ads against me out of nowhere, uh, clearly has plenty of money to spend for a different candidate. So I don't think the results of the Republican primary are a foregone conclusion. We should talk a little bit about the historic nature of how Congress has lost its civility and comedy since you became a congressman back in 1983. How has it changed and why? Dramatically. Uh, The Senate used to be a legislative body, which meant we took bills to the floor with amendments and debate and ultimately passed them, and they became law. That's the way the books are written that we study in school. But that hardly happens at all anymore. Uh, We're so divided with the uh, uh, filibuster requiring uh, 60 votes to break it. Uh, We rarely have real debate and amendment on the floor. Rarely. Once or twice a year, I'm telling you. And we spend most of the other time with uh, meetings in the back offices to write a bill and the hopes that we can spring it out of the committees and onto the floor and, and pass it very quickly without much debate at all. I don't like that at all. That isn't the way the Senate was designed. It isn't the Senate that I was elected to. Uh, it's where we've disintegrated to. And I hope we can return to the old days pretty soon. And why is there hope? I mean, incivility and getting tough is something most Republicans are proud of. They seem to be not so interested in, uh, you know, government uh, or statesmanship, but in winning. I mean, Mitch McConnell in your chamber is uh, Exhibit A. Uh, Why should we be hopeful that civility, which is talked about a lot, would be returning? Well, I hope it will, and I think there are members that want it to, but the the forces are against us. The major reason, more than anything else, uh, is the money that's spent on campaigns. Uh, To say that we're going to see over $300 million spent in the governor's campaign in Illinois uh, is not an exaggeration. Uh, And the vast majority of that money has yet to be spent. Uh, so be prepared for the next six or seven months for some pretty fierce activity on both sides. And what I have found is that uh, these campaigns have become so expensive. Now that we uh, say the Supreme Court says under your uh, Voters United that uh, corporations are individuals in terms of their right of free speech, we are seeing enormous amounts of money being spent on both sides. I don't think it's healthy. If we had shorter, more informative campaigns with real debates, I think the voters would be better served. We're talking issues with Senator Dick Durbin, who's on the line from Washington. Uh, Dick, crime is becoming a major, major problem and political issue, especially here in Chicago, as uh, Democrats are regarded by the Republicans to be soft on crime with various uh, reforms in the judicial system. Um, I mean, some of this crime is brazen, carjackings, uh, retail theft down on places like the Magnificent Mile. Aren't you Democrats getting vulnerable on the issue of crime? Well, the Republicans want to make us such. But I will tell you, Bill, when it comes right down to it, they don't have much of an answer at all. Uh, Do I support the police? You bet I do. I agree with President Biden, who said in his State of the Union address, uh, I don't want to defund the police. I want to defend the police. Now, have they done some things wrong? Clearly. Laquan McDonald uh, situation uh, in Minnesota 
and other places, it was clearly wrong. And I don't hear any policemen or leaders in that community trying to defend it. They can do better, and we've got to hold them to higher standards. But we need them. We desperately need these women and men who put their badges on in the morning and risk their lives for us all day long. Uh, they are the key to uh, finally bringing some peace to the community. Last week, I think, uh, last weekend, if I'm not mistaken, there were some 37 people wounded and seven people killed in the city of Chicago. I mean, that is an outrage to think in that great city uh, that that has become so commonplace. Uh, it's just inexcusable. There are lots of things that we can do. No party has the secret formula over the other party. We've got to understand we need good policing, number one. We've got to do something sensible when it comes to keeping guns out of the hands of uh, these felons and gangbangers. We've got to make sure that we address the root causes of this, the stability of the family, mental illness, economic issues. All of these things play into it. There is no simple or quick answer, but we had better focus on getting this right. More than anything, people want to be safe in their homes and neighborhoods. Eddie Johnson used to tell me when he was police superintendent in Chicago that the gangs think the criminal justice system is a joke and they are not deterred by anything you're talking about. Is he right? Well, I can tell you we tried 30 years ago when crack cocaine appeared on the scene to really come down hard and get tough. We said we're going to have a criminal penalty at the federal level for crack cocaine that is 100 to 1 over ordinary camp cocaine. It was huge. We filled the prisons up in a matter of a few years with record-breaking numbers. And what happened? Well, you would guess that the price of crack cocaine would have gone up on the street. It didn't. It went down. You would have guessed that the number of users would have gone down. They went up. Exactly the opposite of what we thought would happen if we, quote, got tough. It takes more than that. Uh, we've got to have a system of justice that really does hold people accountable and does it in a timely fashion. Uh, and uh, frankly, our system is good and bad. There are some people who are handling it well and those who aren't. Uh, but we've got to make sure other things are part of this. I mentioned guns earlier. I would also mention the fact that poverty and even COVID-19 have played into this mess we have with all the shootings that are taking place. Uh, we've got to have a comprehensive, full-blown approach to this thing. Is there any particular criminal justice reform enacted down in Springfield that you think went too far? I don't know yet. Most of them have just uh, been enacted and have really not been around long enough. Uh, there are some serious questions. You know, if a person's driving on a suspended license, they're pulled over, uh, they're arrested for driving on a suspended license, put in jail, subject to a cash bail that they can't afford to make, they then lose their jobs, and, you know, their, their situation in life becomes very difficult. Uh, should other people be subject to bail if they're dangerous or in the community or if they've been uh, convicted of a serious crime? You bet. But we ought to be sensible in, in the sentences we impose. Look at the real circumstances of a person. Are you really uh, punishing that person, or is that going to be a damage to the family that makes it even worse? Inflation is way up. It's another politically vulnerability for you Democrats. Uh, the party in power usually, usually, and not necessarily their fault, takes the blame for a bad economy or rising inflation. I mean, Republicans love to talk about gas prices way over four four bucks a gallon. What's the Democrats' side of the state of the economy? 
Well, the economy, uh, at least in the creation of jobs, has bounced back under this president at record-breaking numbers. But inflation is a real issue. Uh, families are facing it. And as you drive down the street and look at those gas station signs, there are reminders every day of gasoline. I paid $4.89 a gallon at one station in Illinois uh, over the break. Uh, it's coming down somewhat. It's got to come down more. The president has released oil from the Strategic Petroleum Reserve uh, to meet that goal taking other steps, expanding the use of ethanol, for example. I think they're all steps in the right direction. I hope they bring down the price of gas. But I want to tell you, Bill, I'm having a hearing next week in the Senate Judiciary Committee about a hidden tax imposed by none other than the credit and debit card companies, Visa and MasterCard. They have what they call a transaction fee or a swipe fee that they've just raised, mm-hmm. costing retailers across our nation even more, and meaning that consumers will pay even higher prices for their products. Uh, it is a hidden inflation tax imposed by these credit card companies, and we're going to have a hearing to make it very public. But don't you have to concede, even if a president isn't to blame, that the party in power does take the blame at the next election? Historically, that's true. Very few exceptions. There have been two or three years of exceptions. So I don't know if that will apply this November. We'll have to wait and see. Okay. Uh, January 6th, what are you hoping comes out of the January 6th committee when it comes to reforms or legal actions or whatever? You tell me. First, the truth. What was behind that? I was in this building in the Capitol uh, when this mob took it over. Uh, At first, we were spirited out of the Senate chamber, taken to a safe place on Capitol Hill. And I'll tell you, my shock at the situation turned into anger. I value this U.S. Capitol building as all Americans should. This is a symbol of who we are. And that insurrectionist mob was an outrage. The fact that they came in and five people died, 150 policemen were assaulted. They did things that were unspeakable in what I consider to be one of the sacred places in our democracy. Uh, we shouldn't just look the other way and say boys will be boys. It was, it was just a little uh, letting off steam after the election. Baloney. It was an insurrectionist mob trying to stop the Congress from certifying the ballots uh, and the results in states that elected Joe Biden president. I'm glad that this has been a serious criminal investigation, one of the largest in our history. Those who are responsible going all the way to the top should be held accountable for it. Shouldn't we be seeing more by now? I know that many in the mob are being prosecuted in singular cases around the country, including here in Illinois. But shouldn't by now we have seen more prosecutions of perhaps uh, the Trump crowd of advisors and perhaps Trump himself? They've tried to uh, basically deny any access to information. Uh, And as a consequence, uh, it's been tough to put it all together and to make their case. But uh, they are moving in that direction. And I think that they're going to have more disclosures before the end of the year. Is the attorney general moving too slowly on this? I don't think so. I, I, I'm, I'm kind of in his corner. This is historic. This is constitutional. This goes to the heart of our democracy. You know, just think for a minute if this tables had been turned and it was Parliament in London that had its doors crashed down and people marching on the scene. What would we think about the British government? We'd wonder if it was going to be around very long or how strong it is. It happened right here in America, January 6, 2021. And, and we want to take this seriously, and those who are responsible for it should pay the price. Yeah, how is our democracy holding up? It seems to be surviving, but you tell me, how, 
How close to are we to it failing and crumbling? I don't believe that'll happen. I, I have a lot of faith in this country, in the laws and the history, uh, the Constitution, uh, and the goodwill of people in both political parties. But make no mistake, there are people who are willing to risk everything to, to express their political point of view, and we saw it on January 6th. How uh, responsible do you think Trump personally is for the uh, insurrection? I voted for his impeachment over it. I believe he was singularly responsible for it. He called that mob to Washington. He organized them and turned them loose on Capitol Hill. And the day he picked was the day when his vice president was certifying the results of the election. This man who lost the election has been the sorest loser in American history. And he is trying to bring down our government as a result of its sore losing. Should uh, Trump be indicted? Well, I don't know if it'll reach that point, but uh, under our Constitution, uh, the strongest penalty you can impose on an elected official is impeachment. I voted for it. What do you think? Is uh, is he going to run again? I'm sure he wants to. He, you know, he can raise money at the snap of the fingers, and the money, unfortunately, doesn't go to political purposes many times. But it's up to the Republicans to decide how they want to spend their money. He wants to be president again. I'm sure he does. It would be a disaster for the United States to elect him after what we've been through. Well, there is a, a, f- a flow of thought that he won't run because he wouldn't want to lose again. Maybe he'll trot out uh, Trump Jr. to run. What do you think? He will never concede that he's lost an election, even if he loses. What we saw this last election is he's willing to try to break the laws and basically violate the trust of our Constitution to maintain this fiction, the big lie that he actually won the election. And there are too many Republicans who look the other way and stare at their shoes when they're confronted with the reality. And the reality is obvious. Donald Trump lost the election. Joe Biden won the election. And Donald Trump's a sore loser. Hey, we're losing a rep in Illinois because of the census, but we seem to be increasing as a donor state. Uh, That is, we send more dollars to Washington than come back. Why is this happening? Well, it reflects a lot of things. You know, when when, uh, Florida piles up the retirees, it means that they receive more of the Social Security pie and Medicare pie than most of the country, uh, other states rather. And the same thing may be true for a defense industry. There may be more defense contractors uh, bringing home federal dollars, too. But, uh, you know, as far as I'm concerned, my job, along with Senator Duckworth, is to bring home the federal dollars. We've done pretty well in this uh, COVID-19 environment, bringing dollars home for our state. Uh, We've done very, very well when it came to the infrastructure bill. uh, And we're going to continue working to bring more dollars home. That's Senator Dick Durbin on the line from Washington. As always, Dick, thank you very much. Thanks, Bill. Take care. Bye-bye. Up next, a roundtable here on Take One with Ray Long, Greg Hines, and Heather Sharon. You're listening to Take One with Bill Cameron on WLSAM 890. Time to get the gang back together for the roundtable where we just get to tell the truth with Ray Long of the Tribune who literally wrote the book on Speaker Mike Madigan called The House That Madigan Built. Welcome back, Ray. Hey, good to be back with you, Bill. Thanks for having us back, and thanks for being back yourself. I'm thrilled to have you back, and welcome back, too, to Greg Hines of Cranes. Hey, Greg. Hey, Bill. I'm uh, popping a bottle of champagne here, metaphorically. Oh, I love it. Virtually. And Heather Sharon of WTTW. Hey, Heather. Hey, Bill. I'm thrilled. Me, too. Well, first Arnie Duncan gang and now Congressman Mike Quigley say they're not going to reach for the brass ring. 
and run for mayor of Chicago. Used to be a big job, perhaps the biggest in the state. But what's going on here, Heather? Why won't uh, Mike Quigley and before him Arnie Duncan challenge Lori Lightfoot? Well, Mike Quigley said that basically he's too busy saving democracy in Washington, D.C. Now, he, of course, sits on the House Select Committee on Intelligence, and he is chair of the House Ukrainian Caucus, which, of course, has been really focused on countering Russian aggression in Ukraine. Uh, I, You know, that's a completely reasonable explanation for foregoing a mayoral run. He also said that he, at 63, felt like he was a little bit too old Um, for the back and the forth that this campaign is sure to include. But he also made it quite clear that had he chosen to run, that he would have beaten Lori Lightfoot hands down. And that, I thought, was an incredibly interesting thing to do, considering that she will be in office for at least another year, and the two of them will have to work together especially as federal funds start flowing from the infrastructure package and the remaining funds from the, the, the last and likely final COVID relief package. So uh, quite a message with his I'm not going to run statement as it, well. It really is. Greg, you know, Lightfoot's approval rating is supposedly down in the 30s, what with all the problems. How do you read this that Quigley and Duncan won't run? When I read this, it, it is that uh, neither one had to fire in the belly. Um, uh-huh. uh, Heather accurately relate what uh, what Mike had to say in his Kaiser had to say in his uh, his uh, statement. Uh, but there was also a phrase in there that says, "You know, if I was fifty three, I'd be raring to do this, but I'm sixty three. Um, I got the same sentiment from uh, from uh, from Duncan that uh, that the hassle and pain of going through my all race, which be all consuming uh, against Lori Lightfoot. It'd probably be pretty dirty. She is, uh, she goes right for the juggler traditionally. It's just not worth the pain uh, given the other options they have. You know, in Duncan's case, it was to focus on his his uh, violence reduction stuff. In Quigley's case, it's to uh, uh, it's just kind of beat on Putin and, and try to serve the Ukrainian community, which in this state is very large and it's centered in his, in his, uh, in his district. Now, he did offer a little gift uh, to uh, anybody else who might want to get in. Um, usually when people pull out, they don't tell you what was in their poll. He went into great detail on what was in his poll. And the, the shocking number that's in there is that only 7% of Chicagoans who were surveyed think that the mayor is doing the right thing in mm-hmm. reducing crime. 7%? I mean, I, I'm not sure I've ever seen a, a number that abysmal. That's the, that's the lane that a, that a candidate has to use to run against her to win, but whether somebody else is going to be able to belly up to the bar and and and, uh, and scrape up the time and energy and uh, and money to do it, I don't know. It's starting to get late. It's not over yet, but it's getting late. It really is. Ray, what's your take? I mean, I always used to think that somebody who decides not to run is somebody who thinks uh, he or she cannot win, but this seems to be the exception, doesn't it? Yeah, if you believe them. I mean, there's always a possibility that the uh, politician in Chicago is putting on a pretty good spin here. But it also is striking what Greg was saying about the 7%. Now, of course, that's a Quigley poll. Um, so there may be some uh, give in that, if you will. Mm-hmm. But um, it did remind me of the time that uh, the Tribune did a poll on Blagojevich and and uh, he came up with a 13% approval rating, which uh, 
created one of the great rants of uh, of um, the tapes that we heard in his in his uh, trial. But you know, you still have to put together a coalition if you're running in Chicago, and it's a crazy time. There's gonna there's a possibility there could be a, a referendum on the maps on the city council um, uh, that will have an impact eventually on what goes on here in in uh, in the mayoral race but this is uh, a kind of a surprise for folks that that thought Quigley might be somebody who was hiding in the weeds and would be coming out and ready to pounce and of course the other factor is that it's just very very hard work even if you're not getting blasted to hit the campaign trail for a race for mayor. It's just a lot of work, and they may not uh, have the energy for that. Yeah, well, the other 63 is not, the, you know, it's not, <laughs> if you're if you're taking decent care of yourself, unless you've, unless you've got some kind of health issues that we don't know about, 63 is not like a, an old time uh, uh, to be running for mayor. I mean, we've had mayors who are a lot older than that, and I, I I just am surprised to use the age card on that. Yeah. You know, I think that I think the situ- the situation tells us a little bit something too, maybe about the future of the city. Um, uh, I mean, we all twenty years ago think that hardly anybody would be running for mayor. Uh, you know, except a, a battered incumbent would uh, would be shocking. I mean, it'd be kind of coming out of the woodwork. You know, those were the days when the when the old Irish machine that uh, knew how to advance people and move people up to pretty much run the town. Well, we don't have that kind of town anymore. Power is much more right. diffused. Uh, you know, and there's 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 no organization. There's no group of uh, of, of uh, ward bosses who can you know put together something in five minutes and get three or four or five candidates going. Uh, this town is frankly kind of leadership right now. Leadership less right now, uh, and. You know, it's it's, you know, you know, what, even if Lori Lightfoot was doing the world's best job, she deserves competition. Like all politicians deserve competition. And the fact that there right now isn't much one is kind of sad. Yeah, down at City Hall, there's a lot of free stuff lately. You know, gas cards and CTA rides and cash to people who need it, and bikes and helmets and locks and business subsidies, of course, for both struggling businesses and big corporations. And uh, early on in Lightfoot's administration, even uh, no fines for overdue library books. But Heather, this week in the city council, Lightfoot barely got the vote she needed to give away the gas and the free CTA rides, 26 votes. Uh, What's going on there? Well, I think that it is an indication that Lightfoot's relationship with the city council remains at a low ebb as it has been really since she took office, because you would think that it would be relatively easy to convince 50 elder people, all of whom are up for re-election in less than a year, to give millions of dollars away to the people who were either going to vote them back into the office or fire them. But that just wasn't the case. She really got it from all sides. There were several aldermen who were furious 
hilarious that she appeared to be using the city's treasury to basically go tit for tat with Willie Wilson, who, of course, has given away millions of dollars in his own money in gas. He is also running for mayor in 2023. And then there were progressive members of the city council who wanted that money to be better spent either on public safety or improving the CTA, either security-wise or um, frequency of trains and buses. And then there were people who were just opposed philosophically to subsidizing gas, a fossil fuel that pollutes the environment, with taxpayer money. So it was not an easy sell and the mayor had to do some last minute um, uh, shenanigans I'll call it because originally there were going to be parts of the city on the south and the west side where people have few transportation options we're going to get priority for both the gas cards and the CTA passes but that left several aldermen whose votes proved crucial out in the cold, including Alderman Derek Curtis, whose South Side ward would have been excluded, and Far North Side Alderman uh, Deborah Silberstein. Both of them voted no because their wards were sort of cut out of this priority area. Lo and behold, about an hour before the vote, their wards were back into the priority um, areas and, and the mayor had their vote. Now, I think that is an indication of just how difficult that this push was. And I think it raises a lot of questions about the mayor's commitment to transparency, which, of course, you remember, Bill, was at the heart of her 2019 campaign for mayor. But that... I'm sure sounds familiar to you because that is an old school trick to get the votes when you don't have them. Yeah, bring in the light, but not so much. Hey, Ray, while I was gone, the feds indicted Mike Madigan, of all people. Um, Yeah. And how much... You're retired too soon, I guess. That's right. (laughs) We all doubted on this panel before I left that this would actually ever happen, but all of a sudden... uh, the Madigan enterprise in the indictment has become a, a racketeering charge. But, yeah. Ray, how much money has Madigan already spent on lawyers defending himself from this? Well, he just threw in another $4 million, and that pushes it up over $8 million. So it's closer to like $8.5 that he's thrown in on to the law firm that has, is doing his defense. And if you count all the other issues that he's been throwing uh, money into to defend himself in civil cases, uh, such as the uh, sham candidate allegations, a case that he won, um, then his bills are up north of $10 million. So it's a a big strain on a a regular person's wallet, but this is a guy who still has $6 million left in his uh, Friends of Michael Manigan campaign fund, and that's where the money's coming from. Uh, and Greg, do you think that uh, Mike Madigan's campaign contributors are happy as clams to uh, make this donation? Um, I think that uh, Mike Madigan's campaign contributors uh, contributed at the time because uh, they wanted certain things from state government, uh, uh, or certain, they wanted certain things not to happen from state government, as it were. Uh, and I suspect uh, uh, what he did with the money, they didn't care about. They just wanted what they got. Um, that having been said, um, uh, while the indictment of Madigan certainly is historic and, and it's significant, and while the feds, I never voted 
never vote against the feds in this town when they go after somebody they usually get them this is not an easy case Rick can tell you much more about that than i can but this is a connect the dots case they don't have anybody as i understand it who's willing to say yeah i talked to the speaker and the speaker said you give me money or give this guy money uh, and i'll pass this bill or whatever it's 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 more inferential than that, which means that uh, that uh, he's got uh, a chance before a jury uh, or a bench trial before a judge to uh, to uh, get out. Yeah, he absolutely does. And Heather, in both the Madigan and Ed Burke cases, former alderman Daniel Solis is getting a pass because he's cooperated, including wearing a wire with the feds to bring these cases. But what do you think, Heather? Is this such a good idea to allow a public official to skate just to get another, you know, public official or two. What do you think? Well, it's an interesting question, and there was a quite a bit of back and forth on this a couple of weeks ago when Danny Solis's deferred prosecution agreement, the clock started ticking on it. So essentially, if he abides by all of the terms, which include likely testifying against Alderman Burke and uh, House former House Speaker Michael Madigan when they go to trial, He will basically get off scot-free, even though he admitted taking a bribe while chair of the zoning committee. And at first, Mayor Lightfoot was outraged by this, and she's been outraged about Danny Solis's deal for months, if not years at this point. But when push came to shove and there was a court hearing sort of rescheduled to allow the city to make this argument that somehow every Chicagoan had been victimized by the corruption that Danny Solis admits that he participated in the city just dropped it and the mayor hasn't taken questions from the city hall press corps or really anybody since then so we don't know what happened but i think it's reasonable to suggest that there were some very worried people um on the in the u.s attorney's office who were concerned that this back and forth was going to hurt their case against ed burke against um madigan because nobody wants um people to be suggesting that their star witness is is basically getting such a great deal that perhaps he might be incentivized to lie um but it 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 was really a mess for a little while there and there are still a lot of questions remaining about whether this deal is appropriate although the u.s attorney's office says yes it's it's extraordinary but also what danny solis did wearing a wire um as part of these probes was also extraordinary and that he did this for six years i Mm -hmm. think just truly boggles my mind and is an indication of sort of what he gave the feds in their ongoing investigation of corruption in Chicago. Ray, you're the expert on the Madigan case in particular. Do you think the feds really need Solis to make the Madigan case? Well, I think he's a, a, an integral part into it. If you look at something like just take the Chinatown deal, for example, the allegation there is basically that uh, Madigan uh, and Solis uh, saw the opportunity for a developer to take a piece of state-owned land in, in Chinatown, get that transferred to the city, and have a developer put up a uh, hotel or whatever kind of property he wants to develop it into, and then Madigan handles the property tax business and makes money off of the deal. So um, if you uh, don't have Danny Solis in that mix there, then you've you've missed the opportunity for 
uh, his comments uh, during that that were uh, recorded and for him to explain to the jury that uh, he uh, saw the opportunity to uh, transfer that piece of property from the state and get it zoned uh, for the developer. So he's a he's a central part of that whole uh, alleged scam there. And of course, Madigan has said he hasn't done anything wrong and he has pleaded not guilty. So this uh, this is a complicated case because it takes several steps. But I there's a chance that Joe Lunchbox can understand that, you know, hey, there was a piece of, of state-owned land that got transferred to the city, it was going to a developer, and Madigan expected to make money. I mean, it's not overly complicated if you break it down real hard. Yeah. Greg, I kind of reluctantly have to concede that maybe uh, giving Danny Solis a pass is worth getting at two big fish like Madigan and Burke, but what do you think? Do you think they need Solis to make um, both cases? I think that Solis is probably as close to the uh, first-hand knowledge thing that I was talking about before as anything they have. Um, I mean, he's he's talked directly to Madigan, and then he talked, and then he went out and dealt with other people, and then he'd come back and report to Madigan. If there's anybody who can connect those dots together and make them a solid line uh, and say that uh, it was absolutely clear that this was a, a quid quo quo deal. Madigan was going to do this, they were going to do that. It's Danny Solis. And if he's not there, if uh, Heather's right, if uh, if, uh, if comments by the mayor or whatever uh, uh, undermine his, 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 his credibility more than the fact that he's an undiagnosed code conspirator, as it is, um, uh, that would not help me help this case. That's Greg Hines of Cranes. Thanks to him, also to Ray Long of the Tribune and Heather Sharon of WTTW. Mayor Daly turned 80 this past week. After a break, you're going to hear again from Mayor Daly. You're listening to Take One with Bill Cameron on WLSAM 890. Well, as I mentioned, Mayor Daly turned 80 on April the 24th. And from my archive of covering him all those years, let's hear him again. Scrutiny? What else do you want? You want to take my shorts? <laughs> yeah, break. How much scrutiny do I have? You go scrutinize yourself. I get scrutiny every day. Don't worry from each and every one of you. It doesn't bother me. Richard M. Daly, Chicago's longest-serving mayor. 22 years in the job, slightly longer than his legendary father, Richard J. Daly. Many people call us a lot of names. We don't pay any attention to them because you know what uh, one of the great presidents in Illinois said. He hasn't got the time to read everything that's said against him, because if he did, he wouldn't be able to do anything. So I think that applies to a fellow in public office. If he's trying to do what's right and he gets the best advice from the people that know and he makes a decision, then he should go ahead and not be concerned about the harping critics, some of which never constructed anything in their life and never will. There's a certain part of our society that's against everything, no matter what they suggest. If you suggest a sermon in the mound, they think it should be corrected. (laughs) Like his father, you didn't always understand what the son said, but you always understood what he meant. There's all their manner of prerogative, but when it comes to a statement that kids are not welcome to Grant Park, that's not an all all their manner of prerogatory. Make that prerogative, as in the alderman who used his automatic prerogative to block Daly from moving the Children's Museum to Grant Park. 
And across the street from Grant Park, there's the Spertus Institute. The Spertus Institute is a very important part of our city's educational and cultural fabric. Sometimes he pronounced a word correctly, but wished he hadn't said it at all. Well, he, they're already built out there, so he can piss, uh, push all he wants. Push, excuse me. When news stories made it look like police applicants were leaving exam rooms to compare answers in the bathroom, Daly said this. You can't go in your pants, guys. Give me a break. Daly seemed to have a fixation with pants. And, and next year is going to get worse than this year. And it's only been really, when you think about June, July, August, September, October, November, now December, once January comes, hold on to your pants. But sometimes one of his programs needed a little tweaking. I'm very proud of the program. That doesn't mean yet you can't fix it or, or, or twink it. Yes, but it's a good program. So Daly could be flexible. Well, we have a lot of alternatives, a lot of alternatives. One thing you, you do, uh, you have a lot of alternatives, and you look at a lot of alternatives. What are they? You have to get There's A, B, C, D, E, F, G, H, I, J, K, L, M, N, O, P. But what about that Meals on Wheels program? We, we have wheels on meals. But when it comes to restaurants, no mice allowed. Well, you don't want a mouse in your sandwich, do you? Give me a break. You know, let's not. We're not closing them down. They're closing themselves down. But what about guacamole? Guacamole? No, I like guacamole. I mean, <laughs> no, not guacamole is not dangerous. I mean, it's very good for you. <laughs> when Daly was Cook County State's Attorney back in the 80s, he tried to get an order to cease and desist, but it came out like this. Uh, we have a agreement to assist and deceased. His father famously got it backwards during the convention riots of 68. The policeman isn't there to create disorder. The policeman is there to preserve disorder. Back then, his press secretary went into damage control mode and told reporters to write what he meant, not what he said. The son got it backwards on putting some skin on the game. We're putting money in the skin with our economic stimulus package. And speaking of money... What really makes narcotics uh, so uh, lucrative is the money. And what about that drug, ecstasy? Ecstasy, they, they believe this, this type of drug is more dangerous than any other drug. When it came to the culture, Daly was mighty proud of his One Book, One Chicago program. We are very fortunate to have a uh, distinguished group of writers uh, uh, here in our city, the history of our city, as we all know from Gwendolyn Brooks and Sal Bellow and, and Uptown and Sinclair. Daly wasn't always good at introducing famous people like John Cougar Mellencamp. At this time, I'd like to introduce uh, uh, John Mellencamp. His father wasn't much better talking about the famous. Copernicus, after the great uh, Polish astronomy, astrologist that uh, did so much to bring about help and assistance to the entire mankind and to the world. Daily the Sun was not great at spelling. That is state money underline that s-a-t-e money and sometimes he had trouble counting the farther we push this off then you into july then you into august then you only have september october november and december those only four days other times daily didn't get the proportions just right we had a huge presentation very small and he didn't always get the grammar right i think people are much more smarter but daily was smart when he agreed with something he'd tell you yeah why not but if he thought you were asking about something silly, he'd tell you that, too. It is silly. It is just silly. Silliness, that's all it is. On the other hand, Daly loved the idea of a 2016 Chicago Olympics. Our plan is financially conservative, reasonable, and, and feasible.
but he was really disappointed when Olympic politics beat him at his own game and quickly rejected Chicago in Copenhagen. I was shocked. I was disappointed. I couldn't believe it. Corruption, of course, was a big problem. 2004's hired truck scandal was a big one. It's embarrassing, and that's why I'm making steps. I, I look at the issue. I'm not afraid to run away from it. And that wasn't the first time corruption had him talking in reverse. I think everyone's for corruption, both in the private and public section. His father, though, took a different approach to fraud. You don't prevent it in your business, in the radio. There's a lot of fraud goes out to that. <laughs> Everyone assumes what the fellow said is about so much is honest and so much is dishonest. And the balance could get, would get by with it if they could, thought they could. So you will prevent all of this. You, you do the best you can. Nearly two dozen scandals swirled around the second mayor daily over the course of his 22 years as mayor, but he was never charged with any wrongdoing. You think I'm that crazy as mayor of the city of Chicago to sit here and start making deals after 10 years being mayor? And when the infamous John Burge police torture case was in the headlines, Daly denied ever condoning torture. Do you think I would sit by that anyone say that the police brutality takes place, I know about it, that I had knowledge about it, and I would allow it? Then you don't know my public career. You don't know what I stand for. His father wasn't afraid of being investigated. Let me get the record straight. As long as I've been the leader of this organization, I've never asked any man or woman to do anything or to receive any pledge of any kind to do anything wrong in holding their public office. And everyone knows. That's because he always claimed good government is good politics and good politics is good government. If you don't do anything that's wrong, well, you shouldn't worry if 15 of them want to investigate you. And they've been... And they've been investigating me for 30 or 40 years. And his son always denied he ever rewarded his pals with city contracts. And everybody's my friend, you know. I think you're my friend once in a while, right? <laughs> then you deny it. Then I'll deny it. Then we're friends. When you need help, you become my friend, right? right. You come to me with your suggestions. And no, I mean, that, that's, I guess it's part of public life and living in a, a great city like, like I know many, many people. I grew up in Bridgeport and every person who grew up in Bridgeport since the beginning of time are my friends. Mayor Daley liked most reporters most of the time, but if he didn't want to answer your question, he'd say this. Gee, I, I don't know. I could find out. Yeah, I don't know. And once, when he didn't want to answer a lawyer's question under oath, he simply said, I don't know what I knew. But if you asked a personal question about a misstep in the family, look out. Here he is in 2004 when a reporter asked him what kind of disability pay his paratrooper son Patrick would receive if he were wounded in combat. You owe me an apology and him an apology. I think that is a terrible question. I think you just mind your own business now. That is a terrible question. You have no right to ask me that. Daly would go up an octave when a reporter said something he thought was ridiculous. What? Social promotions? You're out of your mind. <laughs> and he did it again in 92 when asked about the discovery of some of his cronies in a proposed Galena riverboat deal. No, I'm not involved in anybody with Galena. I'm the mayor of the city of Chicago. I don't know what your paper says. I'm not involved in anybody that invests out there. Are your paper involved in it? What do you mean, trying to, are you trying to accuse, wait, are you accusing me of, of having an interest? No, no, sir. Okay, you have a lot of nerve on that. Daly's father usually didn't get so worked up with reporters. I don't uh, answer the twisted, you know, polluted uh, imagination of journalistic enterprise. His son just didn't think reporters should be placed on a high platform. 
Never seen an accountant or a doctor terminated or a journalist terminated. Very few. Amazing, isn't it? So as we place them on a platitude much higher than us. Got to watch out for putting us on a platitude. Now, the first mayor daily did get worked up with anyone he thought was a faker. Back in 71 in the city council, he blew his stack at Alderman Dick Simpson, a UIC professor. Simpson had just accused Daly of nepotism for appointing the son of floor leader Thomas Keene to the city's zoning board of appeals. Where are we going with this kind of a society? And where are we going with these kind of educators that are doing these things to the young people of our country? Let's start telling the truth. That appointment was never made at the request of Alderman Keene, a little man who's supposed to be the highest of the vocation. A teacher, if you will, dedicated to tell the truth implies that there were bad and vicious motives behind the appointment. That it's wrong. That he's going to tell his children. That wrong. And students, what kind of truth is that? What kind of education? You can heckle all you want. And let's look at the record of the university. And what are they doing to the mind? Is this what's being told the students? That I made the appointment because his father was a head of the Finance Committee, I made the appointment because he's a fine young man and a decent Chicago And to do otherwise would be to be a faker. And that's what we have too much in the educational community today. Hypocrites and fakers, afraid to tell and face the truth, afraid to let the young people go into the combat of election contests. No, they want to stand behind the great university cloak and tell how wrong our country is, how wrong our society is, when they know nothing about it and refuse to take any steps to correct it and haven't got the guts to make the charge on this floor of what's wrong with this young man. That's what's being taught. And it's a sad day, a sad day when we hear words of this coming out of the university platform. And he's not the only one. He's only typical of the large number that are in these universities polluting the mind. That's as angry as the first Mayor Daley ever got out in the open as he paced back and forth on the mayor's roster in the city council. The unusual way the sun got emotional was much different. It was uncomfortable to be in the room in 92 when Daley cried. His son had defied his parents and threw a secret party at the Grand Beach summer home. When some party crashers showed up, out came a baseball bat, and the injuries that followed got the sun in hot water with the law. I'm very disappointed. <laughs> As a parent, would be if your son held a party in their home while his parents were away. I'm more deeply distressed for the welfare of the young man who was injured in the fight. and Maggie and I will talk with authorities today and fully cooperate with you. That's as emotional as Daly ever got in public. Later, the son showed up in a city contract. First, I did not know about his involvement in this company. As a doubt, he made that decision. There's a lapse of judgment for him to get involved with this company. Uh, I wish he hadn't done it. 
I know the expectations for elected officials, their families are very high, rightfully so, especially for me, as I know on a daily basis. But also, I hope those people understand that Patrick is a very good son. I love him. And Maggie and I are very proud of him. And, of course, Daly got emotional about his wife, Maggie, because she was courageously battling cancer. My, my wife, Maggie, who, to me, is a commitment to all of us in the arts. Daly never apologized for getting emotional in front of the cameras and microphones. There's nothing wrong with emotion. I mean, there's nothing wrong with that. I mean, I don't know why you think people should not have emotion in public life. So maybe you don't have it in your industry, but people do have it. We do have emotion. We do. We're not all actors and actresses. Actually, Daly's father used to say his mother had the best idea. Too much has been said about how bad a shape we're in. That's why mother said, God love her. If you're broke, don't let anyone know it. Uh, get the best suit you get or a straw hat and, and put on the greatest front. And uh, because after all, everything in life is your presentation. But he... Now, Daly the Sun could be very sarcastic. Once I asked him if he thought the press exaggerated stories. Oh, no. No, never, never, never. They never exaggerated, no. He loved to argue he was more virtuous than we reporters. When asked if he got paid to appear in a furniture store commercial, he said this. No, I wasn't paid. I'm not like you. <laughs> you get paid every day to ask questions. They get paid to ask questions, so I don't get paid that. No, I wouldn't ask any money. Daly said he thought the press exaggerated the effect of the Great Flood in the tunnels under the loop in 92. There's no one injured and no one killed. Sometimes you wish people were injured or killed. That makes your business much happier. But back in 85, when extreme heat killed literally hundreds of Chicagoans, it was hard to exaggerate that story. But at first, Daly tried to brush off all the questions about it. It's hot. It's hot. I know. It's very hot. It's, yesterday we broke our records. I hope we don't broke records. I mean, we all have to. We all have our little problems, but let's not hold out of proportion. It's, it is a crisis. It's hot. It's hot out there. Let's. We all walk out there. It's very, very, very hot. It's like getting heavy snow. It's like getting real cold weather. Yes, we go to extremes in Chicago, and that's why people love Chicago. We go to extremes. Daly thinks his legacy is the public schools, a lot more school buildings and rising elementary student achievement scores. His father was always fighting for more school aid. The kids in the large cities of America have been cheated too long out of what they're entitled to in the way of financial aid for education. And anyone says that we have enough money in keeping the needs of education for the youngsters of Chicago, don't know what the hell they're talking about. Back in 75, he went down to Springfield to ask a joint session of the legislature to override a governor's school aid veto. You're talking about politics. I told you when I come down there, we're not talking of a struggling that control of the party. I'm not struggling for anyone. I'm not a candidate for any office. I won and won six times. I'm down here to talk to the kids of Illinois, and I don't give a damn who likes it. But let me ask That was one of the few legislative fights Richard J. Daley ever lost. 
The dailies could be philosophical. Our whole skyline, it isn't artificial. It, it, it is, uh, it, it's like a child uh, being born and going through, a woman going through pregnancy and then have a child and allow a child grow. Chicago's skyline just grew naturally. It wasn't artificial. It wasn't just stuck in there and put in there in a way that's it's artificial. He probably got this philosophical bench from his father. There's so much for nothing in this life if we appreciate it. And it's so good. And there's nothing, nothing as wholesome as a fish. Richard I was also philosophical about all those charges of racial discrimination. There's no discrimination here. I look around and I see all types of our society, all elements of our society. And that's the picture I'd like to have always in mind for Chicago. My mother and grandmother, God bless them, would make quilts, so did your mothers and grandmothers. And they take patches of every description and put them together. And then they made one quilt. That's our Chicago that I'm so proud of. We take all the all the We take all the elements. All society. There never is a aristocracy in our city because our people didn't come for an aristocracy. Well, the dailies tried to be practical if not poetic. After 9-11, there was Daly's practical plan for evacuation of the loop in case of a terrorist attack. Keep walking. I mean, you, you, can't, well, you can't send them to the L. You can't put them underground. They keep walking down the street. Uh, you know... And don't ask if you think City Hall is safe. This is a very safe building. But again, you know what you've done after 9-11, bang, bang. I mean, it's always anything that goes. And speaking of walking, here's some Mayor Daley candor about government workers. They're not customer related. They're going to leave at 5 o'clock and they're going to leave at 4.30 or 4 o'clock. I'm sorry, we're on the time clock. They walk out. And then there were the unions that opposed him on bringing Walmart into the city. That put him in preacher mode out in the black community. Not one person objected to any type of store in the suburban area. No one said, Mayor, you're wrong. No one said the aldermen are wrong. No one said the community wrong or church leaders. Only in the west side. Only in the south side. There's we can object to. At the same time, it was all right for the north and southwest side to get the big boxes before this. It was all right. No one said anything. But all of a sudden, we talk about economic development in the black community. There's something wrong there. And the teachers union really got to him. I asked for 15 minutes, not for Mayor Daly, but for the students that would give to the students an extra 15 minutes. The unanimously voted over seven of delegates against me. Unless we're paid, we're not going to do it. That's the sad thing. On the other hand, he didn't always get his marching orders to the teachers right. And what we're saying today is that there are no excuses for children to learn. And in a related vein, Daly was President George W. Bush's favorite mayor. Then there is my most famous statement. Rarely is the question asked. Is our children learning? <laughs> Let us analyze that sentence for a moment. If you're a stickler, 
You probably think the singular verb is should have been the plural are. But if you read it closely, you'll see I'm using the intransitive plural subjunctive tense. So the word is are correct. So Bush and Daly had something in common. Well, when others complained that they didn't like some of their entrance exam test results, Daly was always quick to say that he didn't either because it took him three tries to pass the bar exam. I flunked the exam bar exam twice. I did not like the results. I personally did not like the results. What did you do? You studied harder, right? I studied harder and I passed it the third time. And if government workers didn't like their jobs... They don't like the job, they can quit. It's simple as that. Mayor Daley had some strong opinions about other folks, too, like lawyers. Well, one thing about lawyers, you throw a nickel out in the corner and you get 500 lawyers. <laughs> and he hated drug kingpins. The true terrorists in America today are the drug kingpins. And how about those political analysts? They can do anything. They can analyze anything, you know that. Then there was Mayor Daley on the business community. Ooh, I am very fortunate to have a corporate community to step on, whether it's edu step up on education reform or deals with airports or human relations or job Caught himself on that one, but he meant it when he summed up Rod Blagojevich this way. Cuckoo. <laughs> and sometimes he lost his patience with the alderman. A lot of people are against a lot of things when it comes to, they come and ask me, Mayor, I want this. Mayor, I want that on the side door. So when they see nothing happening in their community, don't blame Mayor Daley. I believe you always have to move forward. I hope you don't infer that I don't understand struggling people. And he didn't like aldermen who pushed those feel-good ordinances. He didn't like, for example, that city council ban on foie gras. He called it the silliest ordinance ever passed. Just think, you'll go down every ethnic food in the city and you say, outlawed, 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 outlawed. You can't eat this, you can't eat that. The city council will be sitting in your basically kitchen to determine whether or not what you should eat on a Sunday after church. And he thought it was silly when one of his challengers said the office of mayor shouldn't be passed down to him like it was a family heirloom. I don't know what he's talking about. Uh, uh, nothing's a heirloom. But he got a kick out of some of the aldermen. Here he is back in 92 presiding over the city council, cackling at alderman Bert Nateris. I don't know of a more dangerous activity in the city of Chicago than these wheelie and dealing people with the helmets and the pads and the fancy short pants called bicycle messengers. I want you to know that you almost lost an alderman a few days ago. <laughs> Let's not vote on that. <laughs> and I want you to know that this guy was swift. This guy was swift. But the talking heads in Washington were another matter altogether. Uh, we have crossfire, backfire, front fire, whatever you want to call them. You look where there was radio and talk programs are unbelievable. You know, liberals, conservatives, you know, a former Democrat, Republican, they're on there and they get paid for it. And, you know, they make up their, you know, we yell at each other and, you know, it's, they go out and have a drink. Uh, you know, it's a show. It's entertainment. And I think, uh, unfortunately, Washington has been an entertainment capital for a long time. Daly loved to mock liberal Democrats in the Senate for being afraid to make gun control an issue. Where are I? Where is the U.S. Senate? Spending 24 hours in Iraq and they're demanding that the people of Iraq should not carry guns. But in America, you can carry guns. It doesn't matter who you are or what you are, you can carry a gun. There's no national debate by the Democrats or Republicans on gun violence 
are guns in America. We have to stay away from that because we want to protect all our candidates. Daley also didn't like it when the state of Michigan asked the courts to close the Chicago locks to keep the Asian carp out of Lake Michigan. He thought the real crisis at the time was the big oil spill down in the Gulf of Mexico. Oil is worse than carp. Oil basically destroys your drinking water. Drinking water destroys. Remember, that is worse. Oil is worse. You cannot drink the water. Go down to the Gulf and they'll find out what's happening to the oil spill. And the mayor didn't like whiners. We have become a country of whiners. Yeah, we, we, we are. <laughs> My theory. We started whining about the Japanese. Japanese are going to take us over. You know, we thought we defeated them in the Second World War. We built it. They're taking us over in 1970. What's going to happen to America? They're going to own our country. That's it. We're all out of jobs. And then we start whining about the Mexicans. We're losing all the manufacturing to Mexico. Look what's taking place. We cannot compete. We can't do this. We can't do this. Now we forgot about the Mexicans. Now we're whining about the Chinese and the Indians. We're a country of whiners. That's all we are. We should, we should have enough confidence that we can compete with people if we all sacrifice a little bit for the common good. And if we do that, we can compete with any nation. That attitude came directly from his father. And I don't uh, whine or cry about what happens to me in a campaign or happens to me any place. You take the things as they are. Doesn't matter what. And you don't, you don't turn out to be a crybaby or a whiner. You, you realize you have your ups and your downs in this business. And you don't uh, you care very much whether they're up or they're down. You just keep moving along. Most of all, of course, Mayor Daley hated guns. If we're worried about terrorists, spending billions of dollars worrying about terrorists, aren't we worried about 30,000 people get killed by firearms in America? He couldn't stop talking about guns. Welcome to America. Americans kill each other every day. We kill each other. Not in Afghanistan, not in Iraq. Good old America. We, we manufacture the guns and we kill ourselves. And he whipped out his best sarcasm for the U.S. Supreme Court tossing out Chicago's handgun ban. Well, the thing I can't understand is that I can't go to the Supreme Court with a gun. Why not? Why can't I go on the Supreme Court and sit there with a gun and listen to the arguments? If a gun is so important to us on the street or someone's home, why can't I go to the Supreme Court and sit there with a gun? At one of his many gun control news conferences, one reporter he didn't like asked if he thought the handgun ban the Supreme Court tossed out had been effective. Daly held up a rifle with a bayonet on it and said this. If I put this up your, your butt, you'll find out how effective it is. Daly could be emphatic about other things, too. He never, ever, 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 ever mentioned that to me. And I understand people are candidates. They will say a lot of things. <laughs> I understand that. And I don't mind that. But never... Ever, ever, did he ever mention that. And here he is in 99 on the effect of towing and impounding the cars of graffiti taggers. Big. How big? Big. Big, big. Big. No, no, no. It's, yeah, it's, I mean, it's amazing. I mean, people love their cars. Something else Daly liked was dibs. The practice of reserving a parking spot for yourself in a big snow if you dug out the spot. Oh, yeah, that's Chicago style. I put a chair there, and I dug that out in front of my house. You better believe it. You better not park there. <laughs> and, of course, Daly loved public relations. You know, you have to PR. You have to PR. You know, you have to have public relations. If you don't, 
then you're kidding yourself. Because if you don't do public relations, then who are you going to talk to? Yourself? And he liked the death penalty. And that frustrates me. I'm pro-death. I'm a death penalty proponent. I believe in it. And, of course, Daly was pro-trees. You talk about a tree person right here. I'm a tree hugger. I mean, I, I, mean, uh, I see him cutting down a tree. You know, I, I'm, uh, you know I'm a little upset. The 600,000-plus trees he planted in the city will probably be Daly's longest-lasting legacy, along, of course, with being the mayor who couldn't speak straight. But he could laugh at himself about that. <laughs> Mayor Daly, who turned 80 this week. Well, that's our show for this week. Thanks to Matt Mellon and Jonathan Bregman for production assistance. I'm Bill Cameron. You've been listening to Tape One with Bill Cameron. Unedited interviews with Chicago newsmakers and compelling discussions about local breaking news. Tape One with Bill Cameron on WLSAM 890.